Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip... I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Hey, this is Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie, here today with producer Felix Poon. I want to kick us off with a story. So it's 1955, Western Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. and there's this guy named Albert Miller just kind of walking around on his property. Albert was a farmer, and he was the local historian and an amateur archaeologist. This other voice is David Schofield, by the way, director at Meadowcroft Rock Shelter in Historic Village. So Albert is walking around, and he sees something as a farmer that would be his worst nightmare. But as an amateur archaeologist, it was pretty exciting. I noticed that a groundhog had freshly excavated a hole. E groundhogs. I've heard they're not great for crops. But he sifted through what the groundhog had uh, excavated and found some artifacts. So Albert gets a shovel and starts enlarging the groundhog hole. And the stuff he's finding is old, like really old. He found burnt bone, some flint flakes, And uh, eventually, at 30 inches deep, he encountered an intact flint knife. Ooh. Long story short, professional archaeologists come in to excavate the site, and they learn it's over 19,000 years old. Wow. That's old. Yeah. It's the oldest known site of human habitation in North America. And it's given us one of the largest collections of ancient flora and fauna materials on the continent. So in today's episode, we're going to tell you all about our hero of the story. But to set the record straight, Nate, I'm not referring to Albert. No. I'm talking about the groundhog. Heck yeah. Good job, groundhog. They're amazing diggers. According to some accounts, their burrows can stretch up to 100 feet long. Wow. That's like if you and I had to dig the length of a football field with just our bare hands. Yeah. Anyway, this isn't even the only example of groundhogs making archaeological discoveries. There's a site in Ohio where groundhogs did all the excavating, and the archaeologists, they just identified the culture of the artifacts afterwards. Man, these groundhogs are doing so much work and not, like, getting any credit. 
I mean, yeah, I guess that's what happens when they don't publish their findings, Nate. If you don't publish, you perish. <laughs> publish or perish. Well, I guess we've got to give them credit where credit's due then. Yep. Hold on to your archaeologist hat, Nate. It's our latest installment of our Holy Scat series, and we're going digging. Holy sh! Holy sh! Holy sh! Holy Scat. Today on Outside In, we celebrate Groundhog Day not by waiting to see if a groundhog sees their shadow or by watching the dated Bill Murray movie. Nope. Instead, I'm bringing you along to meet a real live groundhog, which, by the way, is also known as a woodchuck or by its scientific name, Marmota Monax. Plus, we're going to talk about the origins of Groundhog Day in Celtic traditions, and we'll talk to an expert on why they are key to unlocking treatments for hepatitis B and liver cancer. How much wood can a woodchuck chuck? Felix. Oh, stay tuned for that answer. <laughs> I had to. I had to make it. So, Nate, I wanted to see a woodchuck up close, so I drove to a place called Squam Lakes Natural Science Center in New Hampshire. It's in the middle of the woods where they've got a bunch of wildlife. So foxes, coyotes, white-tailed deer, river otters. This is Amanda Gillen. She takes me up to a building where I meet their woodchuck. There she is. It's got brown fur, looks like a beaver without its tail, and kind of the size of a fat cat. She's a, she's a fat one, but I feel like that's how they well, all are, right? Yeah, that's normal at this time of the year for an animal that's in hibernation. This is Eric DeLeo, a naturalist at Squam Lakes. Eric lifts her cage up onto this table and puts some food out. And some of these, I'm uh, putting out what's called rodent chow. It's basically alfalfa that's been squished into a square. They look like little dog treats. So, there we go. I've unlocked the cage and she's coming out. And there's some She's peanuts here. And if you listen. Yeah, it's the cutest. It's the cutest little eating sound ever. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I, I just almost died out of cuteness. <laughs> so those claws that you notice, those claws are used for digging. Her claws almost look like little mini wolverine claws. Mm-hmm. Like they're thin and long and they're backed by a lot of power too. If you look at her shoulders, you can see she's really broad. And so there's a lot of power behind that. And they need that because they live underground by themselves. They don't live with other woodchucks. So every one of them has to dig out their own burrow. And each burrow can get up to six feet deep and stretch horizontally by anywhere up to like 30 or 50, even 100 feet. And they contain multiple chambers, too. These are like uh, uh, groundhog mini mansions, underground mansions. Yeah, I mean, you got to set up your living room over here, your dining room, your kitchen. <laughs> so the woodchuck gets a nice little home out of this burrow or a little mini mansion, but they're also kind of like beavers, like they're landscape architects. Their burrowing aerates the soil, it gets oxygen down there, which is what plant roots need to breathe. They're also essentially composting the soil mm-hmm. and providing shelter for other animals. Skunk could use it. Snakes. Possum could use it. He means opossums, not possums. He should have listened to our last episode, our last holy scat. Fox, coyote can enlarge it and move in. So these burrows are little ecosystems of their own. Yeah. And of course, they're great for woodchucks to hibernate in. And so this woodchuck that I'm visiting is awake because she's in captivity. But for all the wild woodchucks on this continent, 
right now, they're zonked out. So it's winter time as we release this episode. And all along the eastern United States, from as far south as northern Georgia and up north to Canada and parts of Alaska, they're all sleeping in a state of torpor. Which is when all the body's activities slow down to conserve energy. And Nate, when you think of hibernating animals, what's the first animal to come to your mind? Well, actually, bears, even though I know they don't actually hibernate. But that's just (laughs) the first animal that came to my mind. Yeah, I think that's what comes to everyone's minds, basically. But, you know, bears are considered light sleepers compared to woodchucks. Mm -hmm. They're, like, waking up all the time throughout the winter, and their body temperature only drops from 100 to 88 degrees. Woodchucks, on the other hand, their body temperature drops from 99 to just 47 degrees. Oof, that's freezing. Their breath slows down (sighs) from 16 breaths per minute to just two, and the heartbeat goes from about 100 beats a minute to just five beats a minute. That sounds so relaxing. And around here in New Hampshire, Eric says woodchucks are hibernating until late March or April. Now, there's two reasons why you might see one earlier than that. There are reports that animals are waking up early from hibernation because our winters are getting warmer. Climate change. Or if it's a normal winter. It's probably the male going around and looking for a female to breed with. So the males wake up early to go visit the dens of the females, but not to mate just yet. So are they just like seeing if there's there's any chemistry? Yeah, so adult woodchucks are pretty solitary for the whole year, except this one moment of time where, you know, they're just getting reacquainted. And there's this very short window of time to breed uh, after hibernation. So yeah. if your pups are born too early, it's too cold for them to survive. And if they're born too late, then they don't have enough time to put enough weight for the next winter. Okay, so like once it's warm enough, woodchucks don't want to waste time with courtship. They just want to get like right to business. Right, exactly. But there is one other day that groundhogs are said to come out early. He's not coming out February 2nd. No, he's not coming out February 2nd. That's not not here in New Hampshire. Okay, so in warmer climates, uh, woodchucks might be coming out February 2nd. In, in in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, not even not, <laughs> not even, even not even there. I mean, the the whole the whole groundhog thing that is some folklore that was brought over from Europe that was transferred onto the woodchuck. Punxsutawney Phil, the seer of seers, the prognosticator of all prognosticators, was gently lifted from his burrow. Held high to see, his faithful followers had returned with glee. I feel like Groundhog Day is, I don't even think about it until it's actually Groundhog Day, you know? Yeah, totally. I completely forget about it until I hear on like NPR, like, oh yeah, that's, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's still February a thing 2nd. that we do. Oh, yeah. Feels like winter to me <laughs> still. So Groundhog Day was brought here by German immigrants who celebrated something called Candlemas which was about the purification of Mary and the presenting of Jesus to the temple. Hmm. But Candlemas also borrows some Celtic traditions from festivals that celebrate the midway point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, called a cross-quarter day. Cross-quarter day. Part of the festivities 
was to anticipate if warm weather was coming or if there'd be more weeks of winter. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, so they had the tradition was that if it was a sunny day, uh-huh. that meant there would be more weeks of winter. It feels like they have that backwards, like a sunny day should mean winter is ending, right? Yeah. But I guess it's not fair of me to Monday morning quarterback an ancient Celtic <laughs> festival. Yeah, so I think the way to explain it is this. Like, do you know how sometimes you get a really warm day in late winter? Yeah. And it fools a bunch of plants to start budding and flowering? Yeah, false spring. I think that's the term for it is false spring. Fool spring. That's what I would call it. Yeah, so the worry is that there's always going to be a late frost. Mm-hmm. And that late frost is going to kill off all those budding plants. So yeah. in other words, it doesn't bode well to have a warm, sunny day too early. That makes sense. But how did the groundhog get all mixed up in this? Basically, this Celtic tradition was brought over to Germany, and the Germans <laughs> added an animal to the mix and called it Badger Day. They had the saying that translates to English as, quote, if the badger sunbathes during Candlemas week, for four more weeks, he will be back in his hole. Or in other words, four more weeks of winter. Yeah. So German immigrants brought this over to the U.S., and there weren't any badgers here on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So Groundhog Day was born. <laughs> They're like squinting and looking at a groundhog and being like, eh, kind of looks like a badger. Why not? Why not? Placing Phil on top of the stump, wearing groundhog ease, he directed the president, Jeff Lundy, and the inner circle to his prediction scroll that reads, With my shadow I have cast, then a long, lustrous six more weeks of winter. I've never heard people so excited to get six more weeks of winter. Yeah, I know. I think they're just, they needed something to celebrate. It's February, you know? It's, it's February. It, it's, it's, yeah. it's not exactly the exactly. most festive of seasons. All righty, Felix. I'm looking forward to learning even more about woodchucks. Um, but first, if you're digging this story about woodchucks, do you, do you get it, by the way, Felix, digging? I do. I, I, I Yes. <laughs> I'm actually just digging for support from our listeners. Um, please head on over to our website, outsideinradio.org, and hit that donate button. And if you do that before February 15th, which is less than a couple weeks away now, you'll get our limited edition mug featuring another amazing animal, the opossum. So go ahead, do that now. Hit the pause button, show some love for our show, get your opossum mug, and then come right back. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. 
Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. Welcome back to Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie. I'm Felix Poon. And today, in celebration of Groundhog Day, we're talking all about groundhogs. A.K.A. woodchucks. And Felix, what should we be calling these animals, by the way? Woodchucks or groundhogs? What's the right answer? So their scientific name is Marmota monax. But in everyday language, there are a ton more names we could be calling them. Really? Yeah, including names like thickwood badger. Thickwood badger. Which is used in the Northwest to distinguish them from the prairie badger. <laughs> ah, it's a badger. It's just a thick badger. They're doing the thing that the Germans did. <laughs> See, they weren't that far off. Yeah. Or in eastern Canada, among the French Canadians, they call them Um, And sometimes they're called whistle pigs. That is a bar name if I've ever heard one. Going down to the whistle pig. Yeah. No, it's it's actually the name of a, I think it's the name of a whiskey, right? Is it? Whistle pig. Now we're both whistle pig typing around. Whistle pig rye whiskey. Yep. In Vermont. Great name. So yeah, this is what they sound like when they make a whistling noise. Oh. So they, they just uh, they make that noise whenever they get scared to warn others. That's kind of a cool sound, though. I like it. Anyway, so I put this whole name question to Eric, the naturalist at Squam Lakes. Yeah. And he said he prefers woodchuck, even though that term bothers him a little bit. Because everybody goes, how much wood could a woodchuck could if a woodchuck could chuck wood? And I say, they don't, because they can't. But it's in the rhyme, if a woodchuck could chuck wood. But they can't, so the answer is zero. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> so there's your answer, Nate. All right, zero. <laughs> I never yeah. really thought, too, like groundhog. I never really broke that word down, too. Like, I, I think I would pick woodchuck over groundhog because they don't really look like pigs. They're kind of pig-like. Yeah, I guess. But I, so Eric did caveat this and say that they will sometimes gnaw on wood or anything that's hard mm-hmm. because they need to sharpen and shorten their teeth, which, like all rodents, their teeth never stop growing. Right. But anyway, the word woodchuck is most likely an anglicization of the Algonquin word for the animal, uchek. And besides the origins of the word, I was also curious to know how woodchucks are portrayed in indigenous stories. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to Joe Bruchak. Joe is a storyteller and an Abenaki tribal member. We've had him on the show before to tell us about possums. So in this story about woodchucks, there's Guskomba. The first one to walk in the shape of a human being. In other words, he was the world's first human, and he had great power. But no one to guide him, no family, no grandparents. So Grandmother Woodchuck was designated to be his grandmother. A long time ago, a long time ago, Gluskoba lived with his grandmother Woodchuck in their wigwam. One day, Gluskoba... So the thing with Gluskoba was he'd gotten tired of hunting. So he hatches up this idea. 
he asks Grandmother Woodchuck to make him a bag that he could use to capture game. So she makes him this game bag from deer hair and gives it to him. He looked at it, reached into it, and then threw it down on the ground and said, this is not good enough. Make me a better one. You should say please, by the way. (laughs) Right? So rude. Then she makes him another game bag. This one's made of caribou hair. Buluskomba did the same thing. He threw it down on the ground, said it wasn't good enough. Jeez. So this happens again for a third time. Another bag, still not good enough. And finally, she makes him a fourth and final bag. And this time she makes it out of her own hair. That she began to pluck the hair off her belly. You know, to this day, if you look at a woodchuck's belly, you will see there are places where the hair is missing. Because of the sacrifice, this wasn't a normal bag. It was magic and bottomless. Now, Gluskomba could put his plan into action. He goes into the forest, tricks all the animals into thinking the world is ending and that they should get into the bag for protection. (laughs) They all get in, takes them back to Grandmother Woodchuck, and he brags to her that he doesn't have to hunt anymore. If he wants some meat, he just reaches into the bag, and there it is. Needs some new furs, pulls it out of the bag. But of course, Grandmother Woodchuck is not happy. My grandson, this is not a good thing. She says it's wrong for any one person to own the animals. They'll get sick and die, and then there won't be any left for future generations. So Guscomba learns his lesson. He releases the animals, and they realize that they had been tricked. From then on to this day, no animal has ever crawled into anyone's game bag again. And that is how the story goes. Hmm, that's why it's so hard for me to hunt. They don't just jump into my game bag. Thanks, Woodchuck. Yeah, well, you know, you're you're getting strong by chasing them and I guess so. Getting sharp of mind. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't feel very sharp of mind when I'm hunting. By the end of it, I feel exhausted and frustrated. But that's that's another story. <laughs> that's that's your story, Nate. <laughs> yeah, that's my story. That's not Woodchuck's story. Okay, so one last thing about woodchucks I want to talk about is why they've been super important for a particular kind of medical research. So in the 1960s and 70s, researchers were looking at woodchucks from the Philadelphia Zoo, and they realized something. They started noticing that they were all positive to this woodchuck hepatitis virus. Huh. Yeah, and they noticed that whenever woodchucks get chronic hepatitis B... Then they develop the hepatocellular carcinoma, which is the liver cancer. And that is very similar to what is seen in humans. This is Sandra Sexton, by the way, a researcher and facility director at the Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center. And Sandra says this was a big deal for a few reasons. First, this disease progresses much faster in woodchucks than it does in humans, making it much faster and easier to test new drugs. And second, while the vast majority of medical research is done on mice and rats, mice and rats don't naturally get hepatitis B. There are just very few animals that have this type of virus that is similar to the hepatitis B virus in humans. So medical experiments on hepatitis B have a troubling past. Before and during World War II, experiments were conducted on so-called volunteers, who were actually prison inmates. Yikes. Yeah. Then in the 1970s, they started experimenting on chimpanzees, 
But this didn't catch on for a few reasons. For example, their large size and cost, and other ethical concerns. So discovering that woodchucks get hepatitis B was a revelation. Now at the same time that woodchuck research was ramping up, the FDA approved the first hepatitis B vaccine in 1981. That led to a huge decline of infections in the US. Mm-hmm. But globally, there's still hundreds of millions who have chronic hepatitis B that the vaccine won't help. And while I don't want to make light of animal experimentation, woodchuck research has been instrumental in the development of new drugs for chronic hepatitis B. They lower your chances of getting liver cancer so effectively that the World Health Organization called it the first cancer vaccine. That's pretty cool. You know, all the research that has been accomplished with them has a tremendous positive impact. And uh, we're just very proud to be leading the work in this area. So, Nate. Do you have a newfound respect for the humble woodchuck now? Woodchucks, I feel like, pretty cool. Groundhogs, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Uh, very pigs. impressive. They Whistle pigs. They do deserve their own day, even if it's uh, kind of, you know, maybe not exactly uh, biologically accurate that they wake up and look at their shadows or anything else like that. I think they're cool enough to deserve their own day. Happy whistle pig day to you, Nate. <laughs> And a very happy Thickwood Badger Day to you, Felix. Merry Thickwood Badger Day. Do you have any experiences with woodchucks? Thoughts about Groundhog Day? Thoughts about Groundhog Day? Thoughts about Groundhog Day? <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there, Felix? It never ends. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let us know. You can send us an email at outsidein at nhpr.org. Or you can hit us up on social media. We're at Outside In Radio. And if you want to see pictures of the woodchuck featured in this piece, head on over to our website. But if you want the full behind-the-scenes look at Felix's reporting trip and other bonus material, make sure you're signed up for our newsletter. You can sign up at outsideinradio.org. This episode was produced by Felix Poon and edited by Taylor Quimby with help from me, Nate Hedgie, Justine Paradise, and Jessica Hunt. Our executive producer is Rebecca Lavoie. Special thanks to Rachel Davison with the Ecotarium and to Paul Cody and Silvermoon LaRose. Music in this episode came from Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. say, oh, well, I've seen woodchucks chewing on wood. They eat it. That's why the woodchuck could chuck wood. It's like, no.